Our New Testament reading before the sermon comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 10. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a sheep, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep." And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Let us pray. O Lord, give us grace to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ, And proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Well, we come to the end of our mini-series on the gospel according to Psalms this evening. And I'm going to encourage you to pay close attention to Psalm 23. It is a psalm that is well known by everyone. A psalm that probably feels familiar and probably a psalm that you think you know very well. It is a psalm that is often recited at funerals. It is alluded to in novels. It is referenced in songs and quoted in movies. It is perhaps the best known and most used psalm in all of the Bible. But as we are about to see, best known does not always mean best understood and most used could in fact mean something like most abused or misused. Now, if you are willing and able, I invite you to please stand for the reading of Psalm 23 and What I would like for us to do is all read this together, because I think it would be good for your soul and for mine, for all of us to read this beautiful psalm together. And it's printed for you in the worship order. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of his word. And all the church says, may be seated. An old friend of mine is the minister of a church out in far west Texas. The church sign tells passers-by the place and times of the services of that church where he is the minister. But the sign also tells the passers-by the name of the pastor of the church. And it says, Pastor Jesus Christ. My friend's name is not Jesus Christ, but he is the pastor of the church. And so that's not his name, but it is his attempt at making a statement that the real pastor of that church is Jesus Christ. I called him on this a few years ago and tried to point out that anyone coming into his church and looking to meet with the pastor of the church is not going to be introduced to Jesus Christ. They're going to be directed to my friend who is the minister of that church. Just as I am the minister or pastor of this congregation. Now we might find what my friend has done to be a bit silly, but in slight defense of what he's done, I want to say that in a deeply theological way, my friend is absolutely right that Jesus Christ is the pastor of the church. As we heard in the absolution of sins just a few moments ago, you and I have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. We have returned to the pastor and the bishop of our souls. We're acknowledging in that moment that Jesus Christ is our shepherd. And as we just recited together in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. And it is vital for us to remember this fundamental truth, especially when so many human pastors fail and let us down. It's important to remember this vital truth, especially when so many human pastors move away to serve God's flock in other places. The Lord is the shepherd of all shepherds. The Lord is the true pastor of all pastors. And he is the true pastor of his flock. In the Old Testament, the kings of Israel were called shepherds. They were the shepherds of Israel. And so when King David, <coughs> excuse me. So when King David writes in this psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. David is confessing that 
Even the king is under the authority of the king. That even this shepherd is under the authority and the care and provision of the true shepherd. And he is under the authority and under the care of the shepherd in all circumstances of his life, whether the circumstances are good or whether they are bad. And so this evening, as we walk with the psalmist through this very familiar psalm, I want us to walk through the various stages that the psalmist presents to us here. On the grand scale, you can see that there is a movement from this countryside, agricultural, creational, natural landscape to a city dwelling. And in that, we see the full scope of the story of Scripture, don't we? A movement from the garden to a garden city. And that's what the psalm depicts for us here. But it's fleshed out in different ways. As we walk with the psalmist, we're going to move through the stages of the psalm the way he does. We're going to move from creation to desolation. And then we're going to move from desolation to restoration. And then we're going to move from restoration to expectation. And so if you want to summarize Psalm 23 in four words, we summarize it this way, that it is creation, desolation, restoration, and expectation. And we don't have time to explore all of this in great detail in a 30-minute sermon, but I want you to see that this pattern, or at least file it away, that this pattern is repeated in Scripture in many times and in many ways. On global scales, on national scale, on a personal scale as well. And the thing that I want you to note more than anything tonight is that this pattern shows up even in your own life. This is a way of telling or framing the story of your own life. Each and every one of us has passed through and will pass through again these stages of life. We will move through these things again and again as we walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our shepherd. Let's look at these one at a time. We start with creation because the psalmist says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Imagine, with you, if you will, imagine David reflecting back on his, his childhood, reflecting back on his early days of tending his father's sheep. And those were peaceful and quiet times relative to what he experienced when he became a man of war. He's reflecting back to those early days when he could enjoy the peace and quiet of being in the pastures out with the sheep. And as he reflects on that, he says, this was God leading me through these peaceful and quiet times, providing for me this lush grass, this place to rest and refresh myself, water that was calm and refreshing. There was plenty of it. God was restoring my soul, leading me through paths of righteousness. So David's reflecting back on that time of creation and formation in his own life. It was that experience, that time that he had that formed him into the man that he became. 
Some of you have had experiences like this in your walk with God where you were granted this time of growth and maturity in a safe and quiet environment where you had relative peace and you could enjoy the blessings of God being poured upon you and you were taking advantage of them. And perhaps as you experienced that, you thought this is what life will always be like. My life is never going to be different. It's never going to change. This is as good as it's ever going to get. But as the Lord leads you in paths of righteousness, notice that he leads you sometimes away from that. He leads you away from those green pastures and calm waters He leads you away from the peace and quiet of your life that you so desire. And he puts you into hard places. In other words, there's a movement from creation and formation to perhaps a time of desolation. And that's what the psalmist experiences here. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Imagine David reflecting now on a different time of his life, not just the fact that he went to deliver goods to King Saul and to take care of his brothers, but consider the fact that he faces a giant down in the valley of Elah and overcomes the giant. Consider the fact that his life for a moment gets a bit better. He becomes a celebrity of sorts. But because of the jealousy and rage of the king, David finds himself fleeing from King Saul. He finds himself running away from Saul and going out into desolate places, hiding in caves, living without that calm, refreshing water, living apart from the green pastures that he once knew. He is enduring hard times. Food is hard to come by. His friends have abandoned him. He's running for his life. And that's not the only time. Later on in his life, his family turns against him. He's fleeing from his own son who is trying to hunt him down in the midst of a rebellion. People hurl curses upon him and they are trying to bring down his fame. The community has turned against him. We don't know exactly when David wrote this psalm, but at any point of his life, as he reflects back, he could point to moments when he is literally walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Death is haunting him. It's close behind. And yet he says, I will fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me. God is with me. And this is something to keep in mind as you enter into dark and desolate times in your life. The world is full of trouble. It's full of troublemakers. Sometimes we find ourselves in these very dark and scary places. As we heard in the scripture reading before the sermon, there are thieves and robbers and wolves that are out to get us. They are trying to kill and steal and destroy us. The world is a dangerous place. And following God in the world can be a very dangerous experience. It's not always peace and quiet, green pastures and calm waters. Sometimes it is the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes it is rocky and dry places. And it's in those moments when our faith is tested. But notice what David says. I will fear no evil. 
Not because I'm stoic, not because I'm Superman, not because I'm fearless. No, I will fear no evil because God is with me. The shepherd is with me even in this hard place. And it's his rod and it's his staff that comfort me. In other words, as David, the psalmist, the sheep of God is walking through the valley of the shadow of death. He keeps in mind that the shepherd is with him the whole way. And that the shepherd is defending and protecting him with his rod and staff. The rod to fight off wolves and robbers. The staff to pull him back to safety should he get too far away. So this is an important thing for us to keep in mind. Each Wednesday that we've gathered recently, we have prayed together. And part of what we pray says... Grant us grace always to live in such a state that we may never be afraid to die so that living and dying, we may be yours through the merits and satisfaction of your son, Jesus Christ. This is a prayer that I have prayed personally, not only for my own life and only for the life of my family, but it's a prayer that I've prayed for the life of our congregation For your families as well. There are so many uncertainties in the world. So many dangers and risks. So many things that that cause us anxiety and fear. And haunt our dreams and keep us up at night. And one of the things we all fear is experiencing some form of death. Whatever that looks like. Whatever it looks like for you. It could be the death of a career. It could be the death of a relationship. It could be the death of a ministry. It could be the death of a loved one. And if we take seriously what the psalmist is saying is that even in those desolate and dark moments walking through the valley of the shadow of death, our prayer should be something along the lines of help us to live. Give us the grace to live in such a state that we may never be afraid to die. And what keeps that fear of death away is the knowledge of the presence of the shepherd among us. And then the prayers are answered. We don't stay in the valley of the shadow of death forever. We move on because the shepherd leads us through that testing, through that time of trial, through that moment of making us stronger Proving us and removing sin from us brings us through to the other side. The Lord is my shepherd. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is restoration. This is restoration. I imagine David reflecting on another aspect of his life, another part of his walk with God in his journey with the Lord through the world. Perhaps reflecting back on the time that Samuel the prophet showed up and secretly anointed him, making him king. But then coming back and doing it again later in public to show that this is the Lord's anointed. You anoint my head with oil. Or a time when David is fleeing from Saul and he's hungry and he needs food right now. And he takes the showbread that was only intended for the priest, but the priest let him have it. 
And though it was a violation of God's law, the law written in stone, it was actually a fulfillment of the law of the spirit of life in Christ. The letter kills and David would have died had the priest kept the letter. But the spirit gives life and the spirit of the law said, love your neighbor as yourself. And so they gave David the bread and David takes the bread that should have gone to the priest. And he's eating and feasting and taking care of his men. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You think of Abigail coming to David's aid. And providing food and drink for his men as the enemies were pursuing him. And David is giving praise and glory to God for restoring him and sustaining him in these difficult times. And he does it in the presence of his enemies. God is taunting the enemies of David by providing what they thought David would never have. And he does the same for you, doesn't he? Jesus knows his sheep. He knows what you need. He knows when you need it. Week after week, we are reminded of this truth, this restorative truth that the Lord prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Week after week, the Lord's table is prepared for us and he gives us bread and wine to nourish us and to refresh us. To give us a little bit more grace for a few more days of the journey. It's just enough to bring us back to the next Lord's Day. He anoints our heads with oil as the Spirit of God flows into our lives. The Word of God descending upon us, raining down upon our heads. The Spirit of God flowing into our lives. Our cup is overflowing. It's not a cup of wrath, but a cup of Grace, a cup of salvation. And that moves us to the next and final thing here is expectation. Expectation. Yeah, the Lord is our shepherd. And notice what happens since the Lord is our shepherd. David says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, you can... Circle the word follow, make a note of it, make a mental note, write it down somewhere. But a better way to translate that would be surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. They shall pursue me, chase after me. Goodness and mercy moving behind you, tracking you down, making sure you go the right direction. And where are they leading you? How are they trying to nudge you and move you? Trying to get you into the house of God. That's what the psalmist is getting at. And David understood something about the goodness and mercy of God pursuing him all the days of his life because all he had to do is look back at his life and at any moment he could see the times that he sinned or failed or stumbled or struggled. He could see all of that and know that God's mercy and grace were still pursuing him, still after him, never giving up on him. It wasn't that long ago I told you the story of David and Bathsheba and all the things that David did to hide his sin and cover up his sin. 
And he did so many things that even he feared that God would come against him in wrath and remove the spirit that he had given him. That God would somehow turn the tables on David and make David an enemy. And that wasn't the case. The mercy and the goodness of God pursued David even in the midst of his sin, chased him down, tracked him down through the heart of his sin and brought him out on the other side. This fills David with expectation. He's expecting God to do the unthinkable, the the unexpected. He expects God to do these marvelous things with him as his mercy and grace pursue him. The mercy and grace of God pursued David, even when David, towards the end of his life, counts the fighting men. We think, what's the big deal of counting the fighting men? David wanted to see how vast and powerful his army was. He wanted to be able to take pride in the numbers of people who were around him. And so he counts the fighting men and his his staff, his counsel say, no, this is foolish. Don't do that. He did it anyway, and judgment broke forth. But it was a merciful judgment because the goodness and mercy of God pursued him all the days of his life. David wanted to build a house for God. He wanted to build the temple and get God out of a tent, give him a permanent dwelling place. He was not permitted to do so because he was a man of blood, a man of war and violence. And God said that would be profane. So, no, you're not going to build my house. But here in the psalm, David doesn't lament the fact that he couldn't build the house and that God only dwelt in a tent. He acknowledges that he himself was a member of God's household. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so he dwelt in the true and better house of God, the one built not with hands, but the one built by God. Here's what it has to do with you. The goodness and mercy of the Lord is active. It's not passive. It's active in your life, not passive. They're not just trailing behind you. Goodness and mercy aren't just drifting behind you, kind of seeing where you're going to go and watching you from a distance. That's not what pursue means. That might be what follow means. But pursue has a more active view here. They're not just stalking you and keeping an eye on you. They are actually actively pursuing you and chasing you day by day in order to make sure that you find your way all the way home. Goodness and mercy are the rod and the staff of God that comfort you. And make sure that you don't go astray. And make sure that you find your way To the house of the Lord. This is expectation. And expectation is hope. I know that many of you are fans of the the Netflix hit, The Office. I came across a story recently that talks about how after season one, The Office was doomed to fail. They did not want to renew it. People went back to the drawing board and tried to figure out what to do to make it better, to make it salvageable, to help it to survive. And Greg Daniels, a co-creator, spoke to his crew and said, 
Here's what we're going to do. We're going to add a little glimmer of hope to the end of every episode. It was an un-British thing to do. It was a very American thing to do. And the majority of people around him said, no, this will ruin the show. And he says, no, you dummies, I'm going to do it this way. We're going to add just a little glimmer of hope to the end of every episode. And he did. And that is the difference between the show lasting 12 episodes and lasting 200. Psalm 23 ends with more than a glimmer of hope, but it does end in hope. And the hope is that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In Hebrew, it says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord for many days or for lengthening of days. There is no end in sight to how long we will dwell in the house of the Lord. So in a nutshell, what I'm trying to say to you based on Psalm 23 is this. Yes, the Lord is our shepherd, but what does that mean? As we move through these various stages of the psalm, we learn that the shepherd pastures his sheep. The shepherd protects his sheep. The shepherd provides for his sheep. The shepherd pursues his sheep. And he does this forever without end. When we say we're doing a mini-series on the gospel according to the Psalms, this is the kind of thing we're driving at, is that there is good news in these Psalms. And we can sing this good news. The prophets of God picked up on this theme of the Lord is my shepherd, and they said, speaking on God's behalf, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So will I seek out my sheep. So will I rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will feed them with good pasture on the mountain heights of Israel And that shall be their grazing land. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. God is reminding his people throughout the Old Testament that he is the true shepherd of his people. And then echoing the passage we read before the sermon this evening from John 10. We hear Jesus say some of the most beautiful words in the New Testament. And I want to highlight these words for you now here at the end of the sermon, especially for those who wrestle with confidence before the Lord and wrestle with the assurance of your salvation. Notice what Jesus says here. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand I and the father are one I know it is common in our Christian circles to ask the question 
Can a Christian lose his salvation? Which translates into your life, can I lose my salvation? And for many people, I know that's a rhetorical question. They mean by that, yes, of course I can lose my salvation. And that's why they lose sleep and live in agony and fear. Forgetting all the promises extended to them in places like Psalm 23 and John 10. But if I could do one thing for you here tonight, I want to flip that question around and get you to ask it this way from now on. Can Christ lose a Christian? Can the shepherd lose any of his sheep? And he answers the question himself, doesn't he? That he cannot and he will not lose any of all that the Father has given him. When we say the Lord is our shepherd, that is the kind of thing we're getting at. There is good news in that confession of faith that Jesus is the true and better shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep and takes it up again, that he is the true and better shepherd who purchases redemption for his sheep with his own blood in order to save them from their sin, that he pays the ransom price for them with his life. He calls his sheep by name. We hear his voice and we trust him and we come to him and he takes us in his hands. And the father takes the son in his hands And no one is able to snatch us from their hands. This is the good news. That once the Lord, who is your shepherd, takes you into his hands, you are in good hands. You are safe and secure in your Savior. And this is the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ, according to Psalm 23. I hope and pray that you find comfort in the Lord Jesus Christ, as you reflect upon this psalm. Let us pray together.